live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild Season 4, Episode 4. This is your host, Blake. The U.S. men's national team took another step towards qualifying for the 2022 World Cup last night with their 1-0 win over El Salvador. I can't break this thing down alone, so I've invited one of my best friends, former co-host of the MLS Gone Wild podcast and college soccer coach at Rhodes College, Dakota Rock. Dak, welcome back to MLS Gone Wild, man. The Dak attack is back, Jack. What's up, Blake? Yeah, it's it's fun being back on. I mean, I I was just kind of joking about this last night. I was like, we always kind of give you crap about some stuff. And all. I was like, oh, I'm going to break down some players who wants to do this because I knew you were already doing this. So I was just like doing it in a joking way. And then I was like, you started laughing. And I was like, oh, let's just record it together. I didn't think it would actually come into fruition, but I'm excited for this. Let's get it. I mean, you were planning to do a rewatch. I was going to do a rewatch and do a podcast, but why would I do it by myself when I could bring a friend in here and we could just have a lighthearted conversation about the U.S. men's national team's victory, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Nothing better than that. Yeah. So I have told you this, but I'll say it again. Happy New Year. The U.S. men's national team kicked off their new year with a 1-0 win. So without going too deep into details about the game, because we'll go into that later, what were your instant thoughts, reactions to the game? Were you happy, content? disappointed in not finishing some of their chances how'd you feel yeah I think watching this United States men's national team you always kind of get those mixed feelings you're like well this team has the talent this team has the ability to win these games like they are right they're scoring these goals in the second half but why can't we do it in the first half why are we waiting to the second half to get those why are we playing to our opponents in a way because El Salvador plays with a press where there's space in the back. So why can't we play it through a little quicker? Why can't we break that press a little more? So it's like, you kind of get like these mixed feelings where it's like, okay, I'm happy, but I'm not happy at the same time. Okay. We won. We got three points, but we didn't perform to our best. And it's kind of like, we're finally at that point where we can, as United States men's national team fans and Americans kind of have that opinion where it's like, now we have higher standards where we can be happy, but mad at the same time. From a player's perspective, we both play the game. And, you know, when you play a team and you're the favorite by a lot and you miss those chances, you leave the game kicking yourself, wishing that you would have skunked a team 3-0 or ran them out of the stadium 5-0, whatever it may be. But as a fan who's been through the disappointment that we went through in 2018 of not qualifying for the World Cup, a 1-0 win to kick off 2022 that gets us into second place in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying – that seems like a pretty good thing to me. It might not, might not have been exactly what we wanted, but the chances were there. So I'm happy. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we only needed, going into last night, we only needed 10 points to qualify, like to save qualification to like permanently get in where, okay, now we're down three, we are seven left. So we're sitting really well with so many. We have, what, two more rounds to go of qualifying, at least one. So we're seeing in a really good place, especially after last night. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's talk about the players that earned that 1-0 victory that got us that much closer to World Cup. So starting in goal, the man that's – I don't know if it's officially official yet, but possibly going to my beloved Arsenal that always make me happy every weekend when I wake up at 7 a.m. to watch them. 
Matt Turner started in goal because Zach Steffen was left back in Manchester due to some back issues. He may be with the team later this window. Not sure yet. TBD on that one. Our defense from left to right, Jedi, Chris Richards, Walker Zimmerman, and Serginho Dest outright. Center mid, we had the MMA midfield, Musa, McKinney, Adams. And the front three, Polisic on the left, Weah on the right. Jesus Ferreira up top. Dak, any surprises? What were your thoughts on this lineup? I think a lot of, so this is something that Greg Berhalter has been known for is making changes. I mean, since the last time they came out, there's, there was five changes in this lineup from the last starting lineup he put out. My biggest like surprise, I think was Jesus Ferreira. I mean, you kind of got Robinson who's kind of dug himself as a solidified left back, Richard Zimmerman, center backs, Dest as a right back, especially that MMA midfield has solidified itself. Polisic always is going to be in there, right? You always want Polisic in there. He's not going to be a surprise. Wea is coming on. He's was one who kind of like dealt with a lot of injuries, but lately he's been the go-to guy for the right. And then Jesus Ferreira. I mean, Jesus Ferreira has been playing in such a limited substitution role where seeing him get the start was kind of surprising. I was thinking he would have gone with maybe Zardes or even Pepe. I knew Pepe probably the Transfer and stuff dealt with a lot. Can you hear the cat? You got Matt Doyle vibes going on over there. That's okay, man. I thought I had the suppressor on. I don't know what she's doing, but it's, uh, I mean, especially in that lineup, I thought he would have gone with a mil- more of a familiarity up front at that starting center position. But, I mean, he came in and did his job, but that was my probably biggest surprise there. Yeah, but I think... Jesus Ferreira, we'll talk about it later. I think he handled himself appropriately. He might have missed those two chances, but he did a a pretty decent job up there. So obviously that's the biggest question mark of this 11 that Greg Berhalter put out. But then there's also a little bit of competition still at the center back position. You know, John Brooks was left out of the, the roster for this window. And so we only brought four center backs. We saw the two of Chris Richards and Walker Zimmerman feature last night. The other two are Mark McKenzie and Miles oh, Robinson. Robinson. I don't think we'll see Mark McKenzie unless we have to, but I think from the previous windows, when I watched Miles Robinson with the U.S. Men's National Team, I thought he was basically written in ink that he was going to be a starter. So that was my other only question mark. I think Chris Richards did good, and so did Walker Zimmerman, but just wondering about the Miles Robinson thing a little bit, you know? Yeah, and I mean, we – when we sent those like predictions, the lineup predictions earlier in the day with the group, I mean, I had Miles Robinson in there because I would have, I was always assuming he was going to be that starting center back with Zimmerman as well. I mean, he's been one of his, one of Greg's go-to guys at that center back position in previous windows. So I thought it was solidified. I thought he was going to slot right in there. Yeah. It's a three game window though. We got a big one coming up against Canada. We'll talk about at the end of the episode. So maybe we're saving guys like Ricardo Pepe and miles Robinson for that very important match in Canada as well. One versus two winner goes top of, or stays top of CONCACAF world cup qualifying. So we talk about the, the starting 11. We did see some substitutes feature later on in the game in the second half specifically, but who were some of your top performers in this match? And why. Yeah, I loved watching. I loved watching Tyler Adams. I thought Tyler Adams was one of the top performers. The way he 
dropped in to get the ball from the center backs, from the outside backs, and then moving in as well. I mean, defensively, he made some great tackles. He gave away, I think from what I saw, his passing percentage was pretty high. He had lots of win, one duels and everything like that. So I thought Adams, especially Adams is always that questionable player where everybody's like, like he's always back and forth a little bit. He's a little inconsistent, I think. But I think last night he showed really well, and that's the type of performance that we really need from him. He was able to come in deep, get the ball off of the center backs, get the ball off of Matt Turner, the little that he touched it, and he was able to break lines with some passes. Yeah, you speak about maybe the inconsistencies on the ball, but something that you're always going to get with Tyler Adams is the intangibles, the things that coaches can't teach, the work rate, the ground coverage, things like that. And Maybe he doesn't always influence the game offensively as much as you would like him to, but he's our six. He's our midfield destroyer, and he does it so, so well. It's not necessarily a deep-lying playmaker or anything like that, but he just holds the ball, keeps possession, and that's exactly what Greg Berhalter wants in the six, and we've seen that throughout his time coaching for the Columbus crew and everything like that. Do you have anybody else for top performers? I really liked uh, Aronson. I thought Aronson did really well once he came on. I know he only played 30 minutes, but he kind of really changed the game. That substitution, we'll talk about it later in the small things. But, I mean, I think that substitution changed a lot of the dynamics for that game. Brendan Harrison staying out wide, being able to get the ball off of Dest, getting the ball off of McKinney and Musa out there. I thought he did really well impacting the game there as well. I agree 100%. Brendan Aronson, previous guest on this podcast, love me some Medford Messi, man. He did. He looked really good in that last 30 minutes. He's able to stretch the field, get in behind, very similarly to what we see Timo Weah do outright, but maybe a, a, a tad bit different, obviously, not the same exact players. Anybody else before I get into mine? No, I think, and going back to Aronson, it's hard when you're sitting in that weather for 60 minutes and then you got to come in for the last 30. I mean, those are those are the games you want to start right off the bat and kind of get warm later instead of staying cold and then getting warm later so uh, credits to him I mean let's hear what you got so before I give my top performers let's go to a conversation that you and I had earlier this week about who do you start out right you know Timo Weah who's maybe not 100% fit and we did see him get subs subbed out in the second half or do you start Brendan Aronson out right both are both are great options to start out right but when you have Pulisic out left you got to you have some decisions to make like I think Brendan Aronson is an absolute, what I would call a gnat on the field. We've all played against somebody like that. That's nonstop working the highest work rate on the pitch. He's constantly pressing you. He's constantly getting in behind you. And I think that can just wear a defender down and Timo Weah can do that as well. But I think Timo Weah has a little bit more of a technical ability to him. He's able to beat you more so on the dribble as does Aronson. It's a like for it, it almost feels like a like for like for me. It comes down to preference. What what do you think? You're a coach. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's when you're looking at the lineup that the other team's gonna put out, is it gonna be a lineup where you're gonna get more one one v one battles on the outside? So in this case, you're talking about Wea being more technical. I think you have to go with Wea. If you're looking to get around outside backs, Wea has to be the guy. Aronson has the way about him where Aronson likes to take his touch inside. He's very much Christian Pulisic like where he likes to drift inside. He becomes inverted. That first touch is always inside 90% of the time. And he's dribbling towards the center back instead of the outside back. 
So it kind of depends on who you're seeing out there. Do you keep way out there if you have a better 1v1 matchup on the outside? Or do you have a stronger outside back where, okay, I got Aronson now. Aronson, let me drive at the center back. Let me get on the opposite side of this outside back. And then can I dribble at somebody else instead of going ahead? I'm not saying Aronson can't take players while I'm 1v1, but I think you're going to get more out more of that out of Weya than you are Aronson. Yeah, I think Weya is more of a threat 1v1 on the dribble, actually getting around them. And I think Brennan Aronson is a guy that likes to get played into space and behind, and that happened a couple of times in the second half, and I think that's how he stretches the game. So I agree with all of that. So some of my top performers, I'm going to go Weston McKinney. You know I'm a sucker for a, a really good midfielder, and Weston McKinney's a guy that's so confident right now with the form that he's in over in Syria with Juventus. He scored a couple headers in the past week or two, and he's playing alongside of some of the best players over there. So he's just oozing with confidence, and he brought that into this match. He had the swagger. He had the comfortability on the ball. He had the confidence. He looked like a leader on the pitch. Uh, just some of his numbers, 45 of 53 passing, 85%, 8 of 17 duels won, and 3 for 3, 100% dribble success. Weston McKinney, to me, in that first half was the midfield general. He kind of dictated the pace. He mainly operated on the right side of the pitch, and he was kind of combining with Serginho Dest and Timo Weah, and I really liked that combination. I'll dive more into that when we talk about the things that we liked on the pitch but I think Weston McKinney was really really good in the first half created some good chances and just operated really well in the half spaces and everything like that I really liked Weston McKinney in the first half you have any thoughts on Weston yeah I think my question for you is did you like first half Weston or second half Weston because we got two different Westons no that's why I said I really liked first half Weston I think he he played a really good first 45 minutes and when I Think back to my rewatch today, especially the first 15 minutes, combining really well, finding the spaces, creating angles for his teammates to receive the ball. And he just had a little bit of swagger about him, always dipping his shoulder on the turn. He's just really cool, calm, and collected. And he does, he plays his best soccer when he plays simple, when he doesn't try to do too much and he trusts his teammates. And when he can operate like that and pull those strings, I think Weston McKinney is arguably the best U.S. men's national team player on this roster. Yeah, and while I agree with you, I'm going to have to say I like second half Weston better because – did, did you? I'm tell, Let me – so in the first half, you saw Weston a lot of times deeper into that back line. So he's getting the ball deeper. He's not being able to be a playmaker. He mm-hmm. – essentially, Greg put him in that midfield to be the attacking midfield, to be the 10. In that first half, he's he, – because of the positions that Adams were playing in, in the position that Musa and then McKinney were playing in, he was picking up the ball a lot deeper. And this was talked about during the game. I'm not the only one who saw this. I know Casey Keller and all them saw, saw it too. But the second half, you make that adjustment, you push Musa and McKinney up higher, a little higher, and then you can have the playmaking Weston McKinney then. And you saw that the playmaking, the combinations with Pulisic a little more around the box, the combinations with Ferreira a little more. While I did like the first half, Weston McKinney playing those, pinging those diagonal balls and picking it up deeper, I, the second half McKinney looks so much better. And I think that's going to be the McKinney that we need going forward, with, especially if we're playing Pulisic on the right, because this team is, in my opinion, he's our best 10. Who's that? McKinney. 
Yeah, and this is a team that really doesn't even play with a 10. They play with that kind of inverted triangle in the midfield with a six and the the dual eights, both guys really just box to box guys. But yeah, Weston McKinney has the ability to fill in at the 10 capacity and do it really well. So I guess the reason to justify my answer here, the reason I said first half McKinney is because second half McKinney did make more mistakes, but that is also because he was higher up the pitch. There were more defenders and central midfielders around him. So obviously there's room for more error there, but you know, he's pushing the offense. He's trying to create things for the team. So now, now you did say something that made me think in the first half, Tyler Adams was dropping in with the, the center backs and both. And it seemed like Musa was deployed more on the left side of the field to combine with those guys. And McKinney was on the right side. And there really wasn't much interchange, to be honest with you. When I rewatched it, it was hard McKinney on the right, hard Musa on the left. And they were deeper. Do you think that they came out with kind of a safe tactical approach to this game? Like don't give up a goal early play safe for the second half because we always see the u.s men's national team score in the second half i mean you think that could be a thing no and then to push them up the pitch higher in the second half i don't think it's a direct kind of reasoning for it i think it's that's just how greg wants to play greg wants to play with players receiving the ball deeper playing those line passes the outside backs pushing higher because then Musa drops into that outside back position or Adams drops into that outside back position, depending on what side the ball is on. Right. And then the inverted wingers can come in on that strong side. And that's just how Greg Berhalter likes to play. I don't know if it's directly because they don't want to give up a goal, but, or not. Maybe it's, to really feel, maybe say. it's to feel out the game, feel out the opponent. CONCACAF's weird, man. Yeah. And I, El Salvador doesn't play you like the other lower half of the table CONCACAF teams do. They they don't sit back. They press a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's where that's where things get are going to get a little tricky for that style. I think once teams start pressing us a little more, like when we do qualify for the World Cup, when we get to the and we get to Qatar, I think we're going to see a lot different style of play coming from whoever we play in the group. And I think we need to be able to figure out how to beat that press without dropping players so far deep. Yeah, I agree. So we don't sit on this topic forever. I'll do, you did two top performers. I'll do two top performers. My other one, it's going to be a little bit unconventional. I have Serginho Des and Jedi here, but we'll talk about how the fullbacks get involved into the attack later when we talk about tactics, but Jesus Ferreira, I touched on it at the beginning of the podcast he is a completely different nine, and I don't even think he's a number nine, but he's a completely different style of striker than anybody else that we really have on in the pool itself, whether it's Pepe, Zardes, Pifok, all those guys. Ferreira is a false nine, and we saw the best Jesus Ferreira last night when he was dropping deeper into the midfield, combining. He's really good tactically he's a technician he's able to operate on the wings out of the 10 for fc dallas and recently so here's some recent news jesus ferreira is the first ever homegrown to sign a dp contract and there's a reason for that and he's really gained the trust of greg berhalter over these last i'd say six months or so and i think that he stepped into a role that he doesn't usually play and yeah he missed the two big chances but he also completed the most dribbles in the match with four and he also created the most chances with five and he had the assist to Jedi. So I think that, yeah, that position is going to harshly be criticized on their 
goal scoring output, but for him to step into that position, start his first ever World Cup qualifier, and to perform and play his game at a position he's not comfortable playing, per se, I think I that was really impressive, and I was pleased with Jesus Ferreira when probably a lot of people weren't just because of the two misses. Yeah, I mean, he had the assist for Jedi, and then he should have had the assist for Musa. He knocked it right down to Musa, and Musa just happened to miss, miss kick it and it went over or went wide. I can't remember which one, but I think if he would have gotten a little more space to operate in that midfield or when he dropped back to get the ball at his feet, I think he would have been more effective than what he was, which was pretty effective as that false nine type of role. Yeah, so let's keep it moving. We're now going to do our segment, and pardon me here, all the small things where Dak and I will break down some of the small de- I hope you liked my singing, but this is where I Dak and I will break down some of the small details of the game that viewers may have missed while watching the match. Dak, I'll let you go first, man. This yes. could be a tactical switch, a run that vacates space, somebody just checking their shoulder one time, which gets me going. But what's your small thing? Yeah, so I had to completely i have two little ones first off just real quick morris's first qualifying match in four years before the injury since his injury so that was pretty that's a pretty big deal it's a very small thing so well done to jordan i thought he came on did his role with the limited time he had but my biggest one is the tactical change once aronson came on the aronson sub for Polisic. Pulisic coming off I think that was my small thing and like I touched on earlier I think it just opened up so much more with our attack I mean as when that change happened we got way more dangerous I think our number of chances from what it looked like went up significantly it looked like we were getting more dangerous around the box so that was my kind of small thing because that allowed Jesus Ferreira to again for the little time that he was on after that operate a little more. I think when Pulisic came inside a lot, I think a lot of that crowding, they were both making the same runs into the same little area where now if Jesus is gaining on his feet, he doesn't have much to play with because Pulisic is right next to him. If Pulisic makes the run, gets it on his feet, there's nobody making that run in behind. So I think once Aronson came on for Pulisic, we were able to open the game up a little more and have a lot more room in the middle to operate. We attacked the wings a little better. So I think that was my small thing of the day. That's a good one. So my, all the small thing. In a game that was decided by just one goal, this defensive action from Tyler Adams in the first half turned out to be crucial to the U.S. men's national team, leaving Columbus with all three points. In the 12th minute, El Salvador hit a big switch. Their left winger, Darwin Seren of the Houston Dynamo, who was one-on-one with our right back, Serginio Dest, Alexander Laren, then pounced on the opportunity to join the attack and give them a two-on-one with his run into the U.S. men's national team's 18. And Dak, my words won't do this play justice. But Tyler Adams absolutely hawked this man from 45 yards away. Even though he wasn't the closest U.S. men's national team player to Laren, Weston McKinney, a little bit lazy defensively here early in the match. Adams spotted the danger from across the pitch, sprinted to get into position, took the right angle, anticipated the pass in behind Dest, and was first to the ball to concede a corner rather than a point-blank shot on Matt Turner's net. Adams' work rate, ground coverage, and defensive ability were on full display here. It may not show up in the stat sheet, but this was one of the most important plays of the match, and that's my all-the-small thing. 
Yeah, I mean, you always love when you get 45-yard recoveries. I mean, you're not always going to be perfect. So when having somebody with the ability like Adams to do that is huge, and it's definitely a, a small thing that people might give them credit for at the moment, but then soon forget about after it's done. So, I mean, big credit to Adams for that. Oh yeah. You watch that play and it happens and then just goes by because when the casual watchers watching the game, they're looking for, you know, the CONCACAF stuff that's going to happen, the goals, the exciting stuff and that gritty stuff that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. You're not going to remember that. So I had to, I had to highlight it here, Dak. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. (laughs) For sure. All right. So let's get the numbers out of the way here so we can get it to the eye test and talk about what we actually saw in this match. So on paper, the U.S. men's national team dominated this match. They outpossessed El Salvador 63-37, created 13 more chances, and won the XG battle 2.98 to 0.20. Dak, what did you like about the game from a tactical standpoint? What stood out to you? Yeah, I loved us getting our outside backs going for it. So I, I'm a big fan of getting the outside backs going. The, if you got attacking outside backs, you got to get them going, especially when you got this, you got – Jedi on there or Yedlin really any of our outside backs love to attack and we just got to get them going um but you look at it we're getting players beating players 1v1 I loved Tim Way making those runs in between the center back and the outside backs Des picked them out a good couple times so those are kind of things that I really enjoyed I really enjoyed watching Musa and Adams drop in when the time was right So more in the second half than in the first half. I thought they were doing a little more in the first half when it wasn't needed because we were already circulating the ball slow enough where, okay, why can't we just play a 10-yard ball forward and have him turn instead of having him receive it on the back line square to where the center back has it. That's something something that Greg Berhalter pointed out after the game was they just did not circulate the ball quick enough. They didn't get the ball into the final third quick enough. Yeah, and that's – going to be there's going to be games where we're going to have that time to circulate it a little more but I thought last night playing El Salvador the gaps that they left open and them higher up on the field I thought we could have definitely broke lines a little more going forward more progressive passes into maybe Pulisic or Ferreira or way checking in between the gaps a little so those were my kind of things I got more but we'll get into those a little later yeah, so I'll just – it's, it's going to be a snowball effect here. We'll just yeah. roll, with, roll, roll with the punches. So you talk about the outside backs. Something that I noticed while watching this match is primarily in the first half, our attack came from the right side of the pitch, heavily centered around Serginho Dest and Timo Weah. And the second half, a lot of it came from the left side with Jedi. Did you see that too? Yeah, I – Definitely a lot more came from the left side in the second half. I wouldn't say it was significant um, because we were, Des was still getting on the ball a lot. I mean, the goal came from that right side, but we definitely found Jedi a little more than we did in the first half. The issue there is can Jedi complete a higher number of crosses? If we're going to start playing down that left side a little more, he has to be able to complete crosses into the box. And I re- I think it was going into this game, Jedi had the lowest percentage of completed crosses in all CONCACAF qualifying. Yeah, there were a lot of instances in this match where not even just Jedi, but Serginho Dest as well, 
the cross didn't clear the first man. Yeah. And that's, that's unacceptable, for, especially for how much that we play through these guys. You know, usually when a team is set up, like they're going to operate and center around like their playmaker, their number 10. But it seems like tactically we are set up to get our fullbacks high and play through them. They are a central piece in our attack, even though they're they're wide fullbacks, right? Yeah, and this isn't even just an issue that Jedi is just now bringing up. I mean, this has been seen through his time at Fulham starting back to last year when he got onto a bigger scene playing more on TV where more people were able to have access to watch him, where it kind of flew under the radar when we didn't have access to watch him. But now that we do, we're seeing that flaw in his game he's great on the ball i mean you saw it last night he took guys on dribbling in the box he like dribbled two guys i think and got a shot off he has a brilliant strike on him the only thing missing now in his game is his crossing ability he has a good enough percentage to keep his job but sooner or later that's not going to be a good enough percentage to help us win games or help to keep his job, especially with the young, the U S is known for young people coming through. So I'm sure we have tons of young kids coming through. So sooner or later, somebody's going to come through the high that's able to complete those crosses and his job's going to become in jeopardy. So I think that's the only thing missing from Jedi's game. Defensively, he's good dribbling. He's good striking the ball. He's fine. It's now, can I complete the crosses? And it seems like something that should be an easy fix. I mean, I just, I want to see him put in just a beautiful curled outswinger and just find somebody right on their dome piece. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I, there's not a lot of competition at that left back spot. George Bellow and Sammy Vines are the only two real competition. And I don't think any are of his quality, to be honest with you. I think there's a pretty big gap between Jedi Anthony Robinson and I'd say George Bellow is probably number two, maybe. I'd say there's a pretty big gap and probably above George Bellow. It's probably Serginho Dest out left, to be honest with you. Yeah. Just... I think with, with Bellow, he's missing that defensive piece. Mm-hmm. Bellow is. Bellow's not... still a pretty raw player. Yeah. Exactly. Lacks a he's lot of more... technical ability. It's let's go forward. Let's get into the attack. Defensively. He's hard to trust. Yeah. So I know you love Timo Weah. You've been talking about it for weeks. If he's sending me gifts on a daily basis, but we talk about how the team may have moved the ball slowly, but in the first half, they did occasionally play the ball directly to Timo Weah. And it wasn't always successful in the first half, but Timo Weah was finding ways to get him behind. And the U.S. men's national team, whether it was Weston McKinney or whether it was Serginho Dest, they were playing the balls down the line into space for him. So he did in the first half, kind of what Brendan Aronson did in the, on the left in the second half. So I did like that. And from my count, I believe we threaded in five balls in behind to Timo Weah. Unfortunately, none of them successful. And the sixth one was the first one in the second half. And that was the one from Weston McKinney into space when he essentially created that goal, beat a guy inside with the 50-50 challenge, took the shot, deflected to Jesus Ferreira, Jesus Ferreira over to Anthony Jedi. Uh, So I think that direct play really does work. And we have a couple guys that can do it really, really well. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the direct play and that's going to be something that this team, in my opinion, needs to do more of, right? We're always talking about, can we move the ball? Okay, well, we moved it. 
we moved our defense. Now can we play it direct a little more? Let's not go back side to side. And this is an issue that I've run into while coaching. It's like, okay, I'm coaching a possession style game, but let's not forget to go forward. Sooner or later, we have to go forward. And when you have players like Aronson and Plissick, when he stays on the outside, when you have players like Timo Werner, Timo Wea, where, okay, now we can play him behind. Now we have the speed to get behind. We have players with the ability to take players on 1v1 and not think twice about it, right? I think that's the biggest thing. It's, okay, I play you in behind. Let me go take somebody on every single time I get the ball. Way has this mindset where I get the ball, I'm going to go right at you. I don't care who you are, I'm going right at you. And if I don't beat you, I'm going to come right back at you next time. And I think that's, I mean, you saw that every time he got the ball, he looked to take players on. And like you said, he failed the first five, right? And then that sixth one, he beat the player, got a very good shot off. Great save by the keeper that just bounced out. He's going to be a guy that if you give him six chances, there's going to be one that's going to be a really, really dangerous chance, whether or not it ends up in a goal or not. So I think Timo Weah, for me, is he's going to be a starter going forward for this team. So since we're talking about kind of this right side of the pitch, I mentioned it earlier how I really like the Weston McKinney, Serginio Dest, and Timo Weah combination. Just one thing that I watched, and sometimes when I see teams fail playing on the wing, it's because the players are all playing in a straight line. You know, the right back is straight in line with the right winger, and the center mid is not really providing any angles. All three of those guys are in different channels, and they create angles for one another to be able to go forward. So one thing I noticed, especially in the first half, when Weston McKinney was deeper, he was a part of more of the combination build-up play. Him and Serginio Dest would get out, and then they would link up with Timo Way. And I really, really liked that wrinkle to the to the match. Yeah, I loved watching us go down the right. I'm I'm a big fan of Dest. I I love watching Dest. I think he has both very good attributes when it comes to attacking, when it comes to defensive. And it was good to see him take players on 1v1 yesterday. It was good to see him complete passes. The confidence was there. And I was, I don't follow La Liga that much, but I followed enough to know that like Hercules, Hercules Gomez yesterday made a lot of comments about Des's confidence and how it's been just completely knocked to the ground, beaten up over and over again by Xavi at Barcelona. And he that was Gomez's biggest question going into this game was where was Des's confidence going to be? Was he going to be the Barcelona Des who doesn't have confidence to take players on to complete passes, to be risky, or were we going to see the old Des? And I think we saw the old Des yesterday. I, taking players on, he had a very few completed dribbles. As a right back, he had very good link up. The third assist for the goal, or fourth assist, I'm sorry, playing it to McKinney, but that's the type of desk we need. The desk who wants to take players on and hopefully this thing with Barcelona is going to fix itself kind of. And it's the same question with Pulisic. Hopefully Pulisic's Chelsea situation fixes itself a little bit. I sure hope so. Cause we need those guys playing important minutes at their position going into the rest of world cup qualifiers. And especially once we do qualify, we need those guys fit, ready, and informed and playing important minutes, competitive minutes. But to give listeners an idea of what Serginio Dest did yesterday, he completed the tied for most dribbles with four with our number nine. So I'd say that's pretty good for a guy that's at right back. He won 12 of 21 duels, which was 12 duels was the most duels won in the match. 
and he was 34 for 37 passes completed with 92%. So Serginho Dest did look like he was hungry. He was willing to take players one-on-one. He was comfortable combining. He was comfortable in tight spaces. And my God, this guy has glue on his feet, man. He's so quick to move the ball from one side to the other and get around you. Uh, it's, it's really fun to watch. And he's a, such a creative, tricky player. And he's a player that U.S. men's national team fans really, we haven't been able to enjoy. And now we have him. So we need to appreciate him because the guy's a baller. And Chavi needs to appreciate him over in Barcelona too, dang it. Yeah. And so what do you think about the U.S. men's national team's pressing? I know Greg Berhalter came out after the game and said, we didn't press as a unit. You know, the front three would press, and then that left a gap for them to get into and then get out the other side. What did you think of the U.S. men's national team's pressing? Yeah, I think Greg's spot on. I mean, you saw it right off the bat. I mean, you got Jesus Ferreira going balls to the wall, chasing the goalie, chasing the pass back to the goalie. You got Christian Pulisic who's trying to prove himself again to somebody, right? Christian's always going to be one to prove himself to somebody. And you saw that running everywhere he went, way running everywhere he went. But then there's that gap, all right? And that's where we come into play. Musa sitting deep, McKinney sitting deep. And there has to be a smaller gap between that. If we're going to high press, we got to high press. And that's one of the biggest things with high pressing that, sometimes doesn't go through you get the high press like the forwards understand it but then the midfielders can get a little lazy with their let's stay as a unit type of deal and that comes from the midfielders or that comes from the backs telling the not commanding the midfielders to get up with them so i mean it just has to i think it just has to be a little more compactness in that press because if we can stay compact, we'll be able to press no anybody. So to speak on the U.S. men's national team's pressing ability in this match, I'm just looking at this really incredible chart put out on Twitter. Uh, I don't have who put it out right now, but I'll, I'll give a little shout out on Twitter tomorrow. But it's an it's incredible numerical analysis of this game. But I think I know on, which one you're talking about. Speak, I have the same picture. Yeah, to speak on the press, the opposition's percentage of possession loss from the defensive third, which is us pressing them and stealing the ball in our attacking third, is 57.1%. So the U.S. Men's National Team did a really good job, at least from the numbers. Looking back, when I rewatched the game, I guess I didn't realize it, but we were able to turn El Salvador over in their defensive third quite often and go right back at them. And so that's a testament to the ability of our, our pressing and, you know, Early in the, I remember the first minute of the game, the first thing I wrote down on my note sheet for today was front three pressing. They were going crazy. Like you said, Jesus Ferreira was running around like a freaking cheetah out there, um, just chasing everybody down. But that's that's the kind of work rate that's going to win you games. And the more you can win the ball back and have a numerical advantage running at the defense already in their defensive third, the better, you know. Yeah, that's where you always want to win the ball too. I mean, you always want to win the ball the furthest away from your goal. So being able to win the ball that at that high percentage and the attacking third, our attacking third is absolutely brilliant. Facts. Well, honey. All right, Dak, we could talk about this all freaking day long, but my girlfriend's trying to watch TV. Okay. So the U S men's national team is going up against Canada this Sunday at three Oh five on Paramount plus I'm going to be watching. I'm sure you're going to be tuned in. It's oh, going to yeah. be a huge measuring stick match to see who will lead CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, entering the third and final match of this window. 
earlier in this qualification process, these two nations tied one-to-one. Dak, what are your thoughts on this match? And let me hear your official prediction before we get off here. So I think it can go one to two ways. And I think it comes down to the way the U.S. play. So last time, just quick recap, last time Canada sat back a little in the 5-4-1. They love to counterattack. This window, they don't have Davies, who was a big part of that um, counterattack. They do have Tejon Buchanan, though. We love, I know you love Tejon. I love Tejon. Tejon's going to have such a bright future. But I think if the U.S. can break down the 5-4-1 low block, which they haven't been able to in the past, this is something that they superiorly struggle with. Even against El Salvador yesterday, when they were in a low block, they struggled. And we, we don't let me let me inter- interrupt you. Like, look, we don't seem to have a killer. You know, we talked about earlier how we don't have a number 10 or how we play with the inverted triangle with the, the six and the box to box eights. But we don't have a guy that, OK, yeah, we have Timo Weah outright and Christian Pulisic who can play as the inverted left winger and dribble in. But honestly, we don't have a guy that strikes fear into a defense. And we saw what El Salvador was able to do with Christian Pulisic yesterday. And he's probably the one guy that you think of when you think of somebody that would strike fear into the opposition. But we don't really have a guy, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the issue. And that goes back to the ball circulation too. If you're playing against a low block, the ball needs to be moving fast because you go side to side, you get them drifted to one side, that long ball, then that McKinney long ball is going to be that dagger on Sunday, but we have to be able to move the ball quick enough to be able to open that up. So if we can't, break down the 5-4-1, which I'm anticipating Canada to come out in, right? Because that's mm-hmm. their style because of the speed they have up top. If we can't break that, I think we tie. I think it's going to be 1-1 again. We'll catch them out like we did last time, and we'll score. But I think they'll somehow counter us because that's another thing that we struggle with as an outside, as a United States men's national team. We struggle against the counter a little bit. And when you have the speed of Tejon Buchanan, when you have the speed of Clyde Laren up there, it's not good. It's not something you want to go up against running back and forth. And I think that's going to come down to what defense he puts out. But if we can beat that, if Canada, if we can either beat it or Canada lets us play a little bit, I think the U.S. win. You talk about moving the ball quicker. The players with the most passes completed and touches on our team are generally our center backs. They're responsible for a lot of the distribution of the ball. And one thing I didn't talk about a couple minutes ago was the center backs involvement and buildup and the lack there of progressive passing from the center backs. Most of the time I saw Walker Zimmerman get the ball. He would just look to his left and play it to Chris Richards, Chris Richards, very similar. One guy that we saw left off this match day 11 was miles Robinson. And I, rate miles robinson as a pretty good distributor of the ball really good defender as well but i think that he can distribute probably the best of these four don't scrutinize me for saying that but i think that he can and i think that maybe greg berhalter may have taken this into account keep him 90 minutes fresh this is his first game of this window we're going to need him to kind of dictate the the passing and how we're going to possess the ball considering he's going to be a guy that's going to touch the ball 90 to 100 times a game probably yeah and it's that's 
those are going to be the diagonals if Miles Robbins can, can hit a short diagonal even because back to back with our center backs that's it's not going to be we're not going to be able to have a center back thread a straight pass into that Mm-mm. center attacking midfielder or the forward checking in it has to be able to have to go diagonal once we switch them from side to side yep it's just got to be quick we got to move the ball faster we got to move off the ball create angles for their teammates and you said one-to-one is that a good bad or indifferent result for you i think for me it's a bad result right because when you look at canada and u.s on paper we have a better team Mm-hmm. when you look at results Canada has that better team Canada has a way to get jobs done in the first half the boys haven't lost in nine matches no and if and that's another thing if we can score in the first half it's it's a totally different game got to set the tone exactly I mean we have two goals in the last two of our last 13 goals are in the first half we only have two in the first half so that's going to be the biggest thing because you know as as well as i do when you're playing against a weaker team the longer you keep them around the more confidence they get right and that's what's going to hurt us sooner or later is keeping teams around letting them build confidence and then they counterattack one time and game's over everybody's competing for the same thing, man. Everybody's hungry. Everybody wants to be in the 2022 world cup. Just because your favorites on paper doesn't mean it's going to be a cakewalk for you. Every game is going to be, every game is going to be competitive in CONCACAF and Canada is exponentially better than they have been in previous cycles. This is legitimately a one, two matchup. And I can't freaking wait for it. Dak, do you have any final thoughts before we get off here, man? No, I'm excited. I mean, this is the most excited I've been about the U.S. men's national team in a very long time. And if we can just, I think if we somehow knock on wood, we don't qualify, I think God, it would work worse. stop. Not on MLS I know, the I know. That's, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying knock on wood. I'm saying if somehow we don't qualify, this will hurt worse oh, than God. it did in 2018. A lot worse. Considering the talent we have on this team, Everybody is now playing in Europe, which everybody wants. God forbid we have any MLS players on the team. Shout out Kellen Acosta. I think you're about him and Jesus Ferrer. I think about they're about the only ones left. And Walker Zimmerman, apologies. Shock. I'm shocked but we I mean, didn't see Paul Ariola start out right. No, nah, I'm surprised we didn't see him at all. But I mean, it, it's going to hurt worse. So yeah, I mean, build the hype. I mean, hopefully. I know in Hamilton, Ontario, there's going to be only 3,000 fans, 1,500 fans, or 15,000 fans, something like that. It's some low number. But hopefully when they come back to St. Paul, Minnesota, we can get a really good crowd out there at, um, what is it, Alliance? Alliance. Whatever you say. Yeah, yeah Alliance Field. It's going to be so, a chili boy. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I saw a forecast today. It's supposed to be like seven degrees. It's supposed to be colder than what it was in Columbus. But I'm excited. I'm ready for it. Cold weather. You just, you got to wear your short sleeve kit, right? Like you can't show weakness and have long sleeves on, can you? Yeah. I mean, you got to be out there in no Under Armour gloves, right? Short sleeve, the jersey, short sleeve jersey, gloves, and you're good to go. I'm not cold. You're cold. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly.
All right, cool. Well, Dak, thanks again for coming on to MLS Gone Wild, man. It's been your first time back on the podcast in over a year. I'm happy to have you. Can I get you a couple more times during the U.S. Men's National Team windows, man? I think you're my correspondent right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm down. Let's, I mean, I'm down. Let's do it. Right, U.S. I'm Men's good. National Team Gone Wild, Dak and Blem. I think we're back. <laughs> Book it. Yes, sir. All right, Dak. Well, thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into season four, episode four of MLS Gone Wild, where me and my boy Dak, we kind of broke down the U.S. men's national team's 1-0 win over El Salvador. Be sure to tune in this Sunday at 3.05 p.m. on Paramount Plus as the U.S. men's national team take on first in CONCACAF Canada. I'll say that again. Canada is first in the CONCACAF right now. USMNT is number two. This is a big one, folks. The biggest one of 2022 so far, and it's only the second one. Anyways, thanks again for listening. We'll catch you guys next week.